Sing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me ever to adore thee. May I still thy goodness prove while the hope of Endless glory fills my heart with joy and love. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I come straight to thee. Let thy goodness like a Yeah. 
Church of Christ. We are glad you're here. Uh, my name is Brian Pruitt. I serve as one of the elders, and on behalf of our entire eldership, we want you to know we're delighted that you have made the choice to be with us this morning. We hope that you'll take a moment and check in at this time, both our members and our visitors. If you would prefer, you can certainly take a card out of the pew in front of you and uh, register if you are a first-time visitor we hope that you'll go back to our welcome desk where we have a uh, little first-time visitors gift for you and uh, some other information if you'd like to know more about our bible classes or anything else here at preston crest uh, we want to uh, <clears throat> let you know that the the women of worship this week were um, able to pack, uh, I think, many, many uh, baskets uh, and, and uh, toiletry items for the hurricane victims in Florida. Um, my understanding is about 70 women participated in that this week, and we're, we're grateful for their efforts. Uh, they are doing that in combination with SGSO, our partner that is uh, helping us in this effort. I think some of those uh, slides have gone by. We also want to celebrate the uh, Pumpkin Fest event that we had last night. It was a wonderful event. Uh, I'm told that it was uh, 1,890 or something like that was our official count, which a preacher count would be almost 2,000 were there. And uh, 
it was a, a, a wonderful time. We had so many members from our community. We had so many of our uh, members, and it was nice to see so many children uh, dressed in various uh, costumes. I saw everything, mice, ladybugs, uh, you, you name it, uh, they were dressed as it. Uh, and it was a wonderful time of fellowship together. Uh, we want to say thank you to all of those who served in this way, who made such a, such a large and massive event possible here at Preston Crest. You still see some of the uh, effects, some of the detritus out in the parking lot as you came in, I'm sure, and that will be uh, uh, going away soon. <clears throat> as we begin our worship this morning, uh, let's uh, go to the Father in prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we come before you this morning acknowledging that you are always present. You are all-knowing and all-powerful. Father, we are continually humbled that you, the creator of each one of us and this entire material world and universe, would allow us to call you our Father and to come before you in prayer. We're grateful, Lord, for the blessings that you pour out upon us in such great abundance, and we, we thank you for all of these blessings, for our families, our friends, our health, our food, and clean water. Thank you for our homes, for our jobs, for our church family here at Preston Crest. Above all, Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to us, to sinful man, that we might obtain forgiveness of our sins and the hope of eternal life with you in heaven for all eternity. Our God, we thank you in a special way this morning for our children. You have blessed us as families, as a church family with so many young families and so many children. And we pray, Father, that we would be faithful in rearing these precious souls here at Preston Crest. I thank you for Rebecca and for her team and all of the adults here at Preston Crest that give of their time to serve you by teaching in our children's Bible class program. Help us, Father, to faithfully teach the Bible to our children and young people, the next generation, so that they will know your will for their lives and can carry your word in their hearts for the rest of their lives. We pray, Father, this morning for our evangelism efforts here at Preston Crest and for the upcoming evangelism conference that's coming. We pray that we might all be more effective in sharing Jesus and sharing the good news of the gospel with those around us. Father, we have so many members of our church family that are suffering right now from injuries, from cancer, from chronic pain, dementia, and other severe medical problems. And we ask, Father, that you would reach down to each one and comfort them in their affliction. We ask, Father, that you would give them healing, relieve their pain and suffering, and restore their health. We believe, Father, in the power of prayer and your power to heal. Our Father, we ask this morning you would be with those who are suffering due to the recent hurricane in Florida and the southeastern United States. I thank you for the opportunity that this congregation has had to help many of those in needs and in need. And we, we just know, Father, that there are so many who need your help and that you alone have the power and the capacity to help those who need you. We ask, Father, also that you would bring peace to our world. We pray that you would bring peace to Ukraine and to other conflicts around the world. 
We ask for your protection, your comfort, and your healing to those impacted by these conflicts, especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. Father, as we here at Preston Crest endeavor to simply be New Testament Christians, we pray that as we continue our worship this morning, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts and our worship before you today will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our call to worship this morning from Scripture comes from Psalm 37, 39 to 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. All right, church, let's stand and let's sing this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than Angels descend. 
We're going to sing one more song as we are entering into our time of communion now. We're going to sing uh, How Deep the Father's Love. I know we sang it just a few weeks ago, but it's such a great song. wanted to sing it again. Then Chuck Jennings is going to come and lead us around the bread and cup this morning.
Good morning. Before we pray around the bread and the cup, I'd like to say just a few words about attitude. Today's motivational experts often use a buzz phrase that says, your attitude determines your altitude. These experts tell us that we need to have an attitude that is full of self-confidence so that we can brush away the obstacles on our path to great success. As Lucy once told Charlie Brown, I don't want ups and downs. All I want are ups and ups and ups. You know, we can look around our society today and see trash talking in sports at every level, over-the-top bravado from our politicians, in-your-face attitudes in business dealings. It's pretty obvious that many people think that arrogance and a sense of superiority are somehow keys to success. Now let's compare all of that to the attitude of Jesus. Paul tells us in Philippians, Philippians 2, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we see that Jesus was in the very nature of God. He then took on the nature of man, and not just any man, a humble man, and really not just a humble man, a persecuted, wandering preacher who was ultimately crucified. Now, at that moment, it looked like the motivational experts might be right. It certainly appeared as though Jesus' humanity and his humility had cost him everything. But then came the third day and the empty tomb. Paul continues, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every Knees should bow in heaven and on earth. As we remember the death of Jesus around the table this morning, I would like to invite all of us to reflect on what came before that. The transformation of Jesus from the very nature of God to a lowly, humble, human being who made himself nothing and took on the nature of a servant. 
No matter what our society tries to tell us, the Bible clearly points us to that attitude as the model for our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning with hearts full of humility and gratitude. We thank you so much, Father, for the humility of Jesus. Most importantly, the ultimate humility that allowed him to be crucified for our sins. We ask your blessing on this bread. We pray that each and every one of us will take it with reverence and gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. It's in his, his name we pray. Amen. Father in heaven, we continue our memorial this morning and we ask that you bless this cup. May the cup always remind us that Jesus shed blood just like we shed blood. And he felt pain just like we feel pain. Because of his humanity, his sacrifice was real and it was complete and it washes away our sins. And for that, we will be eternally grateful. We pray all those things in his name. Amen.
Christ the solid rock. Welcome to Preston Crest. Good to see the Preston Crest family here this morning. Some visitors here as well. We are, we're just overjoyed to get to worship God together uh, on this day. Um, yeah, yesterday was amazing. Uh, so many volunteers, so much work, so many folks from the community came to be with us at Pumpkin Fest. And, you know, you may think, what's, what's Pumpkin Fest all about? Well, it's about Matthew 5, right? It's about Jesus telling us to let our good works shine before men that they might see them and give glory to God the Father. And I assure you, from the smiling faces I saw and the comments that people made last night as I was at the greeting area with the team out there, uh, a lot of adults were wondering, why is this church investing so much uh, to bless my kids and to provide this safe place? And so people are taking notice, and uh, we just pray that they give all the glory to God like Jesus uh, talked about in Matthew chapter 5. The same thing with the hurricane work that the ladies did last week. Uh, why, would, why would people send all this help over to these folks they don't even know? And we just pray that what we do in the name of Jesus uh, leads them to the throne of God. You'll see in a couple of minutes a video about the upcoming evangelism conference and uh, looking forward to that. So many good works. If you want to give this morning, uh, you probably know how. Church team's website or drop a check or some money in the box out in the foyer. So many good works for us to be involved in and to partner with here. Let's pray together. God. You are the ultimate doer of good works. Uh, you are the giver of resources. You have given us life. You've given us health. And you have given us our status as your sons and daughters. And so we are grateful to be able to do good works in your name that the community around us, the world around us can see those and give glory to you. And we pray your blessings over these works that many will come to know the saving grace that comes through Jesus through the work of this church and your people around Dallas and beyond. We pray this in the name of our Lord, Jesus. Amen. Is your church growing or is it slowly dying, leaving you discouraged and disheartened? Hi, my name is Jacob Hawk, and I serve as the director of the Telling the Story Church Growth and Evangelism Conference, and I am also a minister here at the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. Every year, it is estimated that 70 churches of Christ close their doors in America. It's a disheartening statistic, but it's even worse if we do nothing to stop it. Now, there are numerous gimmicks out there for church growth. But the eternal method, tried and tested, straight from the mouth of Jesus, is disciples making disciples. And so on February the 3rd through 5th, 2023, we are hosting a conference to help churches get back on track, on mission, moving in the right direction. Every presentation in class will focus on evangelism and church growth. From ministering to neighborhoods, teens, women, broken families, 
conducting personal Bible studies, servant leadership, and training future leaders, we have something for everyone. Child care is provided, as well as a free celebration of ministry dinner on Saturday evening. Come and be our guest at Preston Crest as we discuss church growth, evangelism, and building the kingdom. You can register today at PrestonCrest.org. We can't wait to see you. Yeah, I thought I'd give you a look at uh, what we're sending out to hundreds of churches to just let them know about this evangelism conference coming in February. Wanted you to see that. Hey, church, next week is World Care. That's coming up, and uh, you can stay tuned uh, to see what, uh, what it is that we're going to be giving to for these, uh, these World Care efforts. For those of you that don't know or may be visiting, World Care is a fifth Sunday offering. Every fifth Sunday that we have during the year, we dedicate that Sunday to World Care. We have an extra, an extra offering time for World Care, and we have dozens of people coming to us that need extra help, mission efforts, uh, um, um, hurricane efforts, that kind of thing. And, and fifth Sundays are World Care Sundays, and we, that's an opportunity to give to help others all over the world. Hey, one thing that you probably don't know about Pumpkin Fest about our Thanksgiving food drive, about our Share the Joy Christmas efforts, about our backpack, our, our packs and pencils, we're, we're obtaining contact information from hundreds of families. And what we do with that, every staff member then will send a text or send a contact to all of these families for example, what I send, I just say, hey, this is John Scott Davis from Preston Crest. So glad you were able to be at Pumpkin Fest with us last week. If there is anything that we can be in prayer for, for you or your family, let us know. We just send out just a, a little note about that. And then if they come to church, if they walk in these doors, now it's your job to welcome them. And I'm I'm serious. We want to be a church that, that loves those that come here. And we want to be a church that proclaims the name of Jesus Christ and loves people. So just want you to know that's what we're doing with all of these outreach events. Yes, we're giving away some free stuff. Yeah. But that's bringing them here. And we're sharing a little bit of Jesus with them. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church. We're going to sing one more, and Gordon's going to come share with us this morning. And we
having a birthday today? All right, well, it's Don Witt's birthday, so give that man a hug today. Finally hitting 5.0, 5, 5 right? Somewhere around there, maybe, give or take. Uh, a little bittersweet today. We are at the end of the Sermon on the Mount sermon series. Truly, I was just kind of a bit down on Thursday as I was putting the finishing touches on the message because I love this sermon. This is the greatest, not this, but this is the greatest in Matthew 5 through 7 sermon that was ever preached. Jesus' epic Sermon on the Mount that defines what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God and to elevate ourselves, live really our best lives, lives according to the one who gave us life and who gave his life for us, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and he paints that beautiful picture. We're told at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, that the crowds that were listening to him were amazed at his teaching. I mean, jaws had dropped by the end of this sermon. This was incredible. Uh, and so the sermon that he preached, interestingly enough, the final chunk, the conclusion of the message is, it's a little different. Uh, he finishes with a bit of a put this sermon into practice or else. He really did. The end of the sermon is a put these words of mine into practice or else. And if you or I did a do this or else kind of thing to someone, we would call it a threat. But it's not that with Jesus, it's different with him because verse 29, he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as one of their scribes, not the teaching that they were used to. It was different with Jesus. Some folks have authority. We know these kind of people. They have authority because they know a lot of stuff. They are an expert in a particular field, and so people pay attention. They lean in. They want to hear what these folks have to say. The scribes and the Pharisees had this kind of authority. They knew the Tanakh. They knew the Hebrew scriptures uh, like the back of their hand. They were so knowledgeable that people listened to them. That was the kind of authority they had. Now, Jesus comes along. He doesn't just like have a different level of authority. I mean, they're lieutenants. He's a captain. No, he had a different kind of authority altogether. He doesn't just know the word. Jesus, John 1, 1, is the word of God. He doesn't just know about God. Same verse, John 1, 1. He doesn't just know about God. Jesus is God. He isn't simply an expert on reality. Jesus is reality. I mean, he wove the cosmos together, together with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1, verse 16. The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, The Sermon on the Mount is the word of the very one who is the Lord and law of reality. Everything real is summed up in Christ. So Jesus, 
you know, I'm not going to go off on this tangent, but people get to choose their pronouns these days, right? Well, Jesus is the only person in the history of the world who could say, you know what, you can call me, you can call me John 8, 28, you can call me I am. He is that which holds everything together. He is that which brought everything together in the first place at the beginning of time. So when he ends the Sermon on the Mount with a do this or else kind of statement, it's not a threat. It's not a threat. It is a statement birthed in reality that is given by the author of reality. Now, Matthew chapter 7 states something, not a big surprise. Uh, Jesus talks about counterfeit Christians. They had them then. We have them today. These are people who claim Jesus as Lord with their words, but deny Jesus with the very way they live. He says in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who says that will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I'm always interested in these little news stories that pop up about someone who is claiming to be something that they're really not call them a fraud, call them a con artist, Uh, with soldiers, uh, they call it stolen valor, those who claim to have done something great when in reality uh, they they were sitting on their couch at home. I just find these stories fascinating. I think my first uh, touch with one of these stories was from the marathon, the Boston Marathon, the great marathon in 1980. This Cuban woman, Rosie Ruiz, some of you I'm sure know her story. She was a Cuban marathoner. She won the Boston Marathon. She was the first lady of cross. She had the laurel wreath placed on her head. She had the champion's medallion hung around her neck. But it wasn't long before Rosie was found out. Yes, she started the race. And yes, she crossed the finish line. She ran through that tape at the end. In between, however, she was spotted on the subway in Boston, Massachusetts. This is true. You guys can Google this, not right now, but later. She literally completed the race by subway, which explained why she wasn't all that sweaty or tired looking at the end of the Boston Marathon. She was a con. She got busted. Um, I heard the other day about a couple of Navy SEALs. They were at a bar somewhere, and they overheard this guy uh, telling everybody how he was a former Navy SEAL and talking about all his exploits. And he had this jacket on that has the, had these Navy SEAL patches on it. They could tell he was a fake. Number one, Navy SEALs don't brag about being Navy SEALs, all right? Number two, those patches weren't exactly legit. So these two fellows, they walked up to him. They started a little conversation. They kept giving him a little rope, letting him share more and more sh- stories about his exploits. And then they gave him a beating he would not soon forget. Um, By the way, I'm not in favor of violence, but that guy had it coming. Totally did. Um, So counterfeit Christians. Jesus says there are people that say one thing about him, but live in a way that contradicts the statements that they affirm to be true about their faith in him. In fact, if you are not a Christian... If you don't like Christians, if you're not really open to the gospel, this is often one of the, this may be your main reason. Look, I see these people who profess Jesus, right, and are, play, are, are playing the, the Christian music on their radio and talking about Jesus, but 
I see the way they live and they don't seem to exemplify the love of Jesus in the way. That there's a contradiction there and that may be a big turnoff for you when it comes to faith. It is for a lot of people. So by the way, to call Jesus Lord, your kudios, uh, and then live as if his words make little to no difference in your life, it is nonsense. It is meaningless. I mean, in a literal sense, those, it doesn't add up. You are Lord. You're professing him to be your authority, and then you live in a way that totally denies it. It, is, it simply doesn't make sense. It's like, it's like claiming to be a nutritionist, but eating at McDonald's every day. It's claiming to be a longhorn, but wearing, you know, Aggie gear all of the time. It doesn't add up. So to call yourself a turnip doesn't make you a turnip. To call yourself a disciple of Jesus, that's not what makes you a disciple of Jesus. It is those who follow his teachings. So we've got this, woof, this conclusion to the sermon that's strong where Jesus tells each person in the crowd, what are you going to do with my teaching? Um, how, he doesn't finish up by saying, okay, show of hands, how many of you call me Lord? He doesn't do that. He doesn't finish up by saying, okay, how many of you guys are, are, are going are gonna to join the Jesus fan club? That's not how the sermon finishes. No. It was, are you going to live out this kingdom ethic? Are you going to live like my disciples? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to put the agenda of God above all others, including your own personal agendas? Are you going to orient your thinking, your decision, your, your speech, and your relationships around me? That's the question at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You want to know what a great... Uh, so you've, you've listened to my sermon. Uh, you, you've taken notes. You, you've got all the principles down here. Great. Now do it, is how Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives this amazing story, this parable. Um, it's essentially a look into two futures, okay? A look into a future that has a foundation on Jesus, a life that is grounded in Christ, the reality and another future of a person whose life is not grounded in Jesus. And uh, the story involves two different housing uh, projects, okay? Two building projects. Verse 27, everyone then who hears these words, my notice all these people are going to hear his words, both sides here. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears, okay, they're hearing as well, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Look, just at first, at first blush, when you read that story, there are so many similarities between the two building projects. The parallels are hard to ignore. Like the houses are the same. 
Jesus gives us no indication that there is a different blueprint for house A and house B. If you're looking at them, they look the same. Uh, Second, both of the houses experience the identical inclement weather. The rains fell on both houses. The floodwaters rose up on both houses. The wind beat against both of the houses. So you think about it for a second. Whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to experience some storms. You're going to experience some difficulties in life. That is pretty much guaranteed in this parable. Now a storm you know, we could go for ages here talking about all of the different storms of life. I'll just give you an idea. I mean, certainly there are financial storms in life. Uh, there's job loss. You know, there is astronomical medical bill that whoop wipes out all of your savings. There are all kinds of financial catastrophes out there. There are relationship storms, I mean, you know, I mean, just conflicts and and long-term dysfunction in relationships with a child, with a spouse, with a neighbor, with a boss. We have those kinds of of floodwaters and winds that beat against our relationships as well. There are health issues, dire diagnosis. Uh, It's a storm to be sure when you have a loved one who is dying a slow death with a chronic illness. It's also a storm when you lose someone suddenly, right? Those are all storms of life. Um, There are mental health storms that many people deal with. Depression, anxiety, all sorts of things that many people deal with, whether they are a believer or not. So according to Jesus, I don't think this is a, a huge banner headline, but good just to state the obvious sometimes, we all face storms, right? We all face them. Whether you are a person of faith or not, storms, challenges, obstacles, difficulties, setbacks, tribulations, they are part of life this side of eternity, this side of heaven. So while all of us, regardless of our faith, we know that we're going to face some of these storms, um, the real storm, the bigger storm, It's not death. That's a certainty. We know that storm is going to affect all of us. We don't know about the others. The bigger storm, however, is the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27. The judgment that comes after we die. We will all face judgment. And that storm has eternal eternal implications. Bottom line, all of us will face difficulties. None of us is immune. Jesus told his disciples, here on earth you will have John chapter 16 verse 33, you will have many trials and sorrows. Many trials and sorrows. So that's not really good news or bad news. I mean, it's just reality from the author of reality. It's a statement of fact. We will not get the exact same storms, the same intensity of trials, but we will all face some trials. We know that. Now, one of the builders in the story that Jesus told made it through all of that just fine, totally intact. The other house, great was the fall of it. Just 
collapsed, just smoke coming up, you know, debris field there. The difference between the two homes, of course, wasn't in the blueprint there or the paint job and that's the kind of shutters they put in, plantation shutters on this one, but not on the other one. No, it had to do with the foundations, right, of the homes. That's what Jesus talks about. One is on bedrock, the other is on the beach. It's on sand. So, of course, Jesus is not talking about tips for home builders here. He's talking about life building here. And the life that is sturdy, it holds up. Uh, the one for whom final judgment is less a storm and more a celebration, that's the life built on the teachings of Jesus. A life built on Jesus has a sure foundation. Whatever is thrown up against it, it'll hold up. It'll hold up. I want that kind of life. I want the life that holds up. Now, the rain that falls, it's not necessarily what we would normally think of as a crisis or a tragedy. Think about, when I think about constant rain, constant drizzle, I was thinking this week just about the culture that we live in. I mean, it presses against us. It challenges us. It threatens to tear away our faith and, and, and the life that we're building on Jesus. Culture falls on everything underneath it. If you live in the United States of America, you're getting a drizzle of culture on you 24-7. You're exposed to sexual immorality. Um, you, see, you, you see sexual identity confusion these days. Violence, right? Violence as entertainment. That's a big part of our culture. Greed. The adoration of wealth, fame, success, achievement. These, these are the reins, the downpours of our culture today. And let's not forget the one in the mirror. Let's not forget self. Um, listen to your heart. That's a mantra of culture today. Follow your heart. Um, these are the pseudo-spiritual mantras of a selfish, narcissistic age. Um, years ago, um, a sociologist who did a lot of work in religion, Robert Bella, uh, he published a book, Habits of the Heart. And one of his, he did all these studies, and one of his interviews was with a young nurse named Sheila Larson, and it's a fascinating interview with her. Um, she had been in therapy for many years, and she was asked about whether or not she was a person of faith. Do you have a religion? Or do you worship God? And her response was, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. My own Sheilaism. It's, it's just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. Uh, you know, I guess take care of each other. Uh, I think God would want us to take care of each other. Sheilaism. That's back in 1985, but now I think you could say it describes the broader culture that we live in today in 2022. The authority, you want to talk about authority? The authority is me. 
The authority is the self. Uh, and any number of things you could talk about, the decline of church attendance, the rise of the unqualified experts. You know, everyone is an expert on Facebook and Twitter these days. The general decline in respect for uh, outside authority and outside experts, it ties into, no, it's me, it's my heart. That's the authority in my life. Um, Tom Nichols, great little book he wrote uh, a few years back. I mean, just a couple years, right? I think just before the pandemic called The Death of Expertise. I know, not exactly the catchiest title. It's a great book though. Uh, Nichols says this about how ignorance has become a virtue in our culture. To reject the advice of experts is to assert autonomy, a way for Americans to insulate their increasingly fragile egos from ever being told that they're wrong about anything. It is a new declaration of independence. No longer do we hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold all truths to be self-evident, even the ones that eh, aren't true. Um, all things are knowable and every opinion on any subject is as good as any other. <laughs> The death of authority, right? Um, so the reins of culture are falling on us. All authorities outside of self are not to be trusted. The self is the true authority. So here is the truth that Jesus speaks that flies in the face of this cultural downpour, you know, and it comes from Scripture there back in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 17, 9. The Bible has been saying for ages, the heart is deceitful above all things. Like the last authority that a human being should trust is their own inner voice. It is a known liar. It is known to be not credible, giving us false information and data all of the time. So as followers of Jesus, we put ourselves under the authority of God and we say, Holy Spirit, you shape us. We don't want to be molded or disfigured by the reins of culture. We want to be shaped by you. Romans 12 verse 2, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. Not the will of Gordon or the will of John Scott or Barbara. The will of God. I want to be shaped by that. So the reins of culture are like, okay, yeah, they fall on all of us. And the disciple needs to have their feet planted on bedrock. Not their own internal compass, but on true north. The identity and the authority of Jesus. Matthew 7, 24. Remember what Jesus said there. We read it a minute ago. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So what is the authority in your life? Who is the authority in your life? Is it Jesus is it your own inner voice? Is it your own heart? Is it a news channel that you tune into? Is it someone you follow on Instagram? Is it a blogger? What serves as the authority? What serves as the foundation on which you are building your life? That's a question everybody needs to ask, I think. 
So Jesus um, gives this amazing sermon. And Matthew relates that when Jesus wrapped it up, the crowds were, the final verse there, the crowds were astonished. They were astonished. He taught, we're told there in Matthew chapter 7, quote, as one who had authority. When others taught, people like me, right? Just regular old human teachers. Some of their words have authority uh, because they're teaching scripture. When Jesus taught, he was the authority, right? Um, John 1.14, Jesus didn't just interpret the word of God. Jesus was the embodiment of the word of God. The word became flesh. When Jesus taught, he wasn't just a source of truth. Jesus is the truth. John 14, 6, he said, I am the truth. When Jesus taught, he wasn't just a giver of life, a bestower of life. No, he is the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11, verse 25. Remember what he said to Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus is reality. He is the great I am. 858, John, before Abraham was, I am. If you are ready to claim your best life, then it's time to declare Jesus as your Lord and your Savior with your words and to build your life on his authority. Devote yourself to his teachings and follow Jesus. There will be a final judgment. Every foundation other than the foundation of Christ, every other foundation will crumble. Every life built on something else, Matthew seven twenty seven, will fall with a great crash. But you can repent. Repent of charting your own path and seek God's will for your life. Be baptized in the name of Jesus even today. You can receive the prayers of this church. If you want to respond, we would love to pray with you. Uh, if you want to just pray with somebody uh, around you this morning, do that. Uh, if you want to learn more about being part of the Lord's Church uh, and this particular congregation here at Preston Crest, come and talk to us about that. Let's elevate Jesus right now. Lift him on the highest place as we stand and worship. Jesus is Lord,
thank you. We thank you for being with us this morning. We thank John Scott and Gordon for our worship service. We hope that you will come back at 6 and join us this evening uh, for our worship service at that time. I think the Cowboy game will be well over by that time, so we will have a better turnout. As we conclude today, let's read together our take-home verse from uh, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God bless you. Have a great day.